With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Let me begin today by apologizing in advance if I have an outburst of joy during this podcast because we may get the official announcement from Liverpool Football Club that Thiago Alcantara has signed for them. Uh, I have said before I'll try and be as unbiased as I can on this podcast, but you will allow me uh, if we sign a player of the world-class talent of Thiago Alcantara to show my joy, it is the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday, September the 18th. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. It's the second weekend of the season. Everybody is in action. We have 10 games this weekend. Manchester City, Manchester United, Burnley and Aston Villa all join the fray. It'll be interesting to see what those teams have done to improve themselves since last season. I'm joined today by producer Guy Drinkle. How are you, Guy? I'm almost as fantastic as you are, especially if Thiago's saying it. Yeah, so let's just say if if during this podcast Liverpool make the announcement, there may just be a spontaneous uh, outburst of screaming. So you, you'll know in advance to expect that. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Right, let's guy, let's let's run through the weekend's games then because we've got ten games, we've got a lot to get through. Uh so why don't you set me up with the first one? Yeah, um so the early kickoff on Saturday is the promising Ev v the disappointing West Brom. Yeah, so Everton had a really promising first out outing against Spurs last weekend, got a big win, uh their first win away at a top six club in seven years. West Brom were very, very disappointing against Leicester. One of the worst performances of the weekend. I thought they just rolled over once the first goal went in. Everton will be on a high for this game. They should be full of confidence. From an injury perspective, Fabian Delph is out. Mason Holgate is out. uh, Jared Branthwaite is out. And Jean-Philippe Gabamon is out. Uh, Sanctusen is out, of course, with his ACL. It's it's unlikely we'll see him play for Everton again. In truth, from a West Brom perspective, 
Kenneth Zahore is out and Ahmed Higazi is out. They have announced the signing of Conor Gallagher from Chelsea on a loan. I wouldn't imagine he'll play in this game. I do think they'll come to Goodison with the same 5-4-1 that they played in the last game. But I think that defence has massive holes in it. The midfield I do like. Um, I think there's creativity, a little bit of balance. There's, there's good work rate in the middle of the park. They're decent on the ball. But I expect Everton to have too much for them in this game. I thought the, oh, the early signs from James Rodriguez were really promising. There was good balance in that midfield in the Tottenham game. And Richarlison stood out as the star man. I think he's going to have a huge season for them. I'm going to say Everton to win this game 3 0. Yeah, and I can't believe you forgot Bronislav Ivanovic for <laughs> West Brom. Yes. Um, <laughs> this does not solve West Brom's defensive issues. This, this is a player who was very good in his prime. Very, very good in his prime. Great right back for Chelsea. Was really good as a centre back for Zenit St. Petersburg. Has been really good for his national team. But he's long past his best. He's quite slow. He's ponderous on the turn. I don't think he'll solve the problem. He's not going to play in this game. Billich has already said he won't be ready for this one. But I'm not, I'm not keen on this signing. I think as someone to bring in as a leader and a dressing room presence and a training ground presence, he could be brilliant for them. But I don't think he's the type of player who's really, at this point in his career, going to improve them massively. Now, they could play him in the middle of the back three um, and protect him with a bit of pace either side. But I still think, I still don't think that solves the problems. Yeah, I'd agree with that, McDuck. I've not seen him since his Chelsea days, but even then he was uh, waning a wee bit. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd agree with Everton as well. Uh, next game up is the battle of the promoted teams, albeit both lost on the opening weekend. One came out looking promising and one looked terrible. Um, it is Leeds against Fulham. Yeah, Leeds came to Anfield on the opening day, showed absolutely no fear, very little respect for the reigning champions, and properly put it up to them. And Fulham, unfortunately for them, played some nice football, but didn't really give Arsenal much of a test at all. Defensively looked very, very poor. Now, I would expect that we'll see a couple of the new signings. From an injury point of view, Stefan Johansson and John michel Seri are both out now. I don't know if Seri's going to play for them this year. He is back in training with them, but he spent last year on loan. It's unlikely, in my view, that they keep hold of him. They've brought in Lamina. They've brought in Harrison Reed, both from Southampton. They've brought back Anguissa, who's really good. I think Sarri's a very good player. I just don't know that he'll feature much for them, and that might lead to him pushing for a loan or a permanent move before the, the window. I'm not expecting a whole bunch from Fulham in this game. Mitrovic has to start. That is absolutely key. For them to have any chance this season, Mitrovic has to play pretty much every game. It was a very strange decision to leave him out on the opening day of the season. So my guess is Mitrovic starts from a Leeds point of view. Liam Cooper is due to have a late fitness test. That could be big for them. He's their captain, their leader, the talker at the back, the organiser. He's a physical presence as well. So he would deal well with Mitrovic uh, or as well as anyone can deal with Mitrovic. Um, Berardi is, is out long term with an ACL tear and Adam Forshaw is out, not expected back for another month or so. So Cooper's the big one that this rides on for Leeds. I still think they'll have too much. I think we'll see Rodrigo start um, possibly off the flank with um, 
Harrison on the other flank and then you know the team more or less the same as it was at Anfield, depending on Cooper coming in at centre-back. I- I'm going to pick Leeds to win this game. I think they'll have too much going forward. I think they're too aggressive in how they get forward for Fulham to properly cope with what I, I think is, without question, the worst defence in the league. I'm going to say Leeds win this game 3-1. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me them coming in favourite. As you said, I think Fulham quite a lot depends on the, the new sign and settling in, really. But um, you mentioned Anguissa there. Are you surprised he didn't start, seeing as he started for a Europa League team last season? <laughs> Very surprised he didn't start. He like After Mitrovic, he's the best player they own. Mm. Now, he was good against Arsenal as well, to be fair, when he came He on. was. And it, it might just be that... It might just be that that you know he's he's just come back. He hasn't really worked under Parker, other than that short period at the end of the season where they got relegated, and he was way out of form, way out of fitness, just looked kind of lost at that point. And the whole team had sort of given up a little bit. I wonder if it's just a matter of sort of easing him back in and getting him, you know, more used to what Parker wants. And Parker's going to put a lot of demand on his midfield players this year because he's going to have to because of that defense. Because of the lack of goals outside of Mitrovic, it's going to be a lot of hard work, a lot of graft. Parker, of course, was a hard-working grafting midfielder, and I think he's going to want his midfielders to play in a similar vein to how he did. I think that's why he likes Harrison Reed so much, because Harrison Reed's quite a similar player to Scott Parker. I think by by mid-October, I think Anguise is going to be a really important player for them, unless they sell him. That's the only alternative. If they they could sell him and get good money, not what they paid, but they'll get good money because, like you said, he was very important player for the Europa League team last year. Um, but if he stays, I think he's a, a starter by uh, like a regular every game starter mm-hmm. by mid October. Yeah, yeah, he, he looks promising. Um, let's move on then. Anyway, I mean, United uh, back to the Premier League after missing the first game week and. Probably the surprise result of last weekend in Crystal Palace, seeing as they have no centre-back to fit. Um, how do you see this one going? Any rust on United? Yeah, I think there could be. I think it's a difficult first game back. Um, it looks like Pogba will be fit. Whether he starts or not is another question. Um, other than that, they're only missing Tunzebi, who wouldn't have played anyway. Sergio Romero, who's probably on his way out the door. And Phil Jones, who I think will probably get a loan. Before the window closes, Palace, though, are missing quite a few players. So Connor Wickham is out. Patrick Van Aanholt is out. Benteke is out. Jaro Riedeveld is out. James Tompkins is out. Gary Cahill is out. And Nathan Ferguson is ruled out. So you would say Tompkins and Cahill is probably their normal starting pair at centre-back. Now, Sacco is the best centre-back they have, but he's often injured. Um, it was it's kind of Tompkins and Cahill were the two they could kind of rely on a bit more last year, so they're missing quite a bit at the back. But I was very impressed with Palace against Southampton. I have to say, I thought they looked really purposeful going forward. I thought the uh, decision to play Coyate at centre back was a gamble that paid off really well. I thought his agility, his power, his aerial ability really paid off. Now whether they stick with that, I don't know. United should have too much quality, truth be told. United have a very good front three. They have Bruno. They have Pogba. If Pogba doesn't play, they'll have Donny van der Beek. Um, United should have too much quality here. 
So I will pick United to win 2-1. I think Palace will make it tough for them. And I think they'll struggle a little bit to deal with Zaha. Uh, if Batshuayi plays, I could see him causing them problems as well. So I think I think United will win, but I'm going to say 2-1. Largely the rust factor for United. I know they played Villa in a friendly last week, but I watched the game and it was very much played at like a you know a 50% pace. It was a basically a training match. So I'm going to say that United win 2-1 and we just see signs of rust for them, but they'll shake that off in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think that well they have to improve really considering the uh, other top four contenders, even like Arsenal looking promising. But I do, I do agree. I think if Palace were fully fit, I could see a surprise here. But you mentioned Same. you mentioned the injury list. If, um, if Palace had their if Palace had their starting defense, they're like if they had everybody fit, if they had Ferguson and Cahill at the back with mm-hmm. Sacco and Van Aanholt, and remember, all four of those could be missing. Sacco's fit; he might not play, but mm-hmm. Ferguson's missing. Cahill's missing and Van Aanholt. That's that's a big, big loss. Um, they're fully fit in midfield and they, they have the bodies to give United trouble in midfield just from an energy and power point of view. And they have the attackers to cause United problems. But at the same time, United do have really good front three and Bruno. So you would back them to get a couple of goals. And whether Palace have enough in them to get a, get a point, I, I just don't think so at the moment. Um, but it'll be a good game. I think it will be a good game. Could we see a continuation of exciting Crystal Palace? <laughs> there is always the possibility that Roy reverts to a four-one-four-one um, and tries to be uber defensive in this one because you know it's Roy. But at the same time, he might look at the quality he has and think, right, I've got enough here that I can. I know I can get the forty points that I need because. The be-all and end-all for Roy will be 40 points, stay up, and that's job done. He might look at it and think, with with Zaha, with Easy, with Batshuayi in, with the players I have in midfield, a couple more additions coming in, I, I probably will get my 40 points this year. I already have three, and I'll pick up points you know, here, there. And he'll have the Roy Hodgson will have the season planned out. He will know what games he expects to win, what games he expects to draw, and what games he thinks they may lose. So if he's written this game down as a game they may lose, he might just be willing to go for it a little more. We've seen him do it mm. in the past. We've seen him go to like to the Etihad and try and have a bit of a go because it's not a game he expects to win. Yeah, yeah, it'll certainly interesting. I mean, as you mentioned with Mitchy as a Zaha sticking around for the time being, it, it's a front-loaded squad, so it should be attacking. Um, but yeah, I'd agree. I'd probably. With the injuries, I'd say Man United should be favourite there. Um, London derby. Uh, <laughs> your your favourite topic at the minute is slagging off West Ham. Um, mm. Arsenal v West Ham. I'm guessing, just just an inkling, that you're going to go with Arsenal for this one. I am. Um, but now, Arsenal do have a lot of injuries at the moment. Mustafi is out. Pablo Mari is out. David Luiz is out. Socrates is out. Granit Xhaka is out. Emil Smith wrote, well, Granite Jacket is questionable, but I would imagine he'll miss out. None of these sound like a bad thing at the minute. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's it's a lot of centre-backs. Like, it's four centre-backs yeah. missing out. Now, I, I, my guess is they'll play largely the same team that played um, the first game. Mm. Now, Emil Smith wrote, Gabriel uh, Martinelli and Callum Chambers are all out as well. None of them would have started anyway. Mm-hmm. But it is quite a hefty injury load. 
And it is something that's been a, been a big factor for Arsenal over the last couple of seasons is how many injuries they have. It's something they very much need to look into. Like, what is causing so many injuries uh, in that squad? I I think Arsenal should have too much for West Ham. West Ham are missing um, only Jack Wilshere. So they're at full strength because you never rely on Jack Wilshere anyway because he's always hurt. But West Ham are in such a bad place at the moment. And you you, you call it slagging off. I think it's constructive criticism. I like West Ham. It can be both. <laughs> it can be both, of course, yeah. like and It depends on, on whose ears are picking it up because... Uh, a West Ham fan who's very protective of the team might might listen to me say these things and and be annoyed, but I don't say it to mock. I say it because I'm concerned about the future of one of the historically great clubs in English football. That's what West Ham are. They're a historically great club. They're not a giant like Liverpool or United or Arsenal, but they have this incredible history. They've got mm-hmm. a, an incredibly passionate fan base. And... I just every move these owners make just drag them further and further away from who they are. They haven't signed anybody. The only person they've been linked with at the moment is Tarkovsky, who they're messing around with. Not they're not. I don't think they're re- really seriously in for him. I think this is just something to to kind of pacify the fan base. I'm concerned about West Ham. I think I think they're going to lose this game. And as I've said before, their next. This game is the start of a six-game run against teams that all finished in the top eight last year. It's a very, very difficult run of games. Newcastle was the game to pick up some points. They didn't do that. They looked flat. They were outplayed by a team that I thought were going to struggle for relegation along with West Ham. I have picked West Ham to go down this season based on what I've seen so far in the window and everything going on around the club. I think Arsenal are going to run out fairly comfortable winners here. I don't see any way that West Ham are going to be able to cope with the pace and the inventiveness that Arsenal now have up front. I think Lacazette and Aubameyang will have too much talent, too much ability, too much quality. And I think Arsenal could win this game 4-0. Oof. To be fair, West Ham do love turning up in London derbies just randomly. They do, and that's the thing. But again, it's Moyes. And mm. it's Moyes away from home against the top team. It's never good when that happens. He went 11 years mm. at at Everton without ever getting an away win against a top four club, or the big four at the time, um, before kind of City, you know, with the money explosion and Spurs developed their way into it. Moyes away against these top teams, he always seems to to kind of retreat into his shell. And um, I am, I'm, I'm concerned about West Ham. I think this is going to be a very, very, very bad afternoon for them. I'm going to say Arsenal 4-0. Yeah, I mean, I, just to play as devil advocate there, when West Ham do surprise, it's normally against Spurs or Chelsea, and you can tend to bully their defence, whereas Gabriel looks looks a bit does, of a unit, doesn't he? He does. He looks, a bit, he looks like a bit of a tank, and... Kieran Tierney's very, very good. Rob Holding's massive well. well. Rob Holding, like the thing about Rob Holding is he's he's limited as a footballer, but he is he is game as anything, and he is tough, and he will stand up to people, and he's happy to get involved in that physical battle. We we've seen it against Liverpool with Mane, mm. where one of the things Mane does is he tries to get inside a defender's head, 
And he tried it with Rob Holding, and Holding had none of it. And I thought performed very, very well against Liverpool at the tail end of last season. So um, I, I think they should just have too much. I, I don't think Moyes is getting the most out of his players. I don't think he's playing his his best eleven anyway. And um, I don't expect much from them in this game. Yeah, well, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, on to Sunday's fixtures. Um, again, early kickoff. Southampton v Spurs. I mean, Southampton disappointed against Palace last weekend, albeit Gaeta made a, a good one deserves. Um, mm. But Spurs, I mean, they were terrible against Everton and had the Europa League tie. Uh, I can't remember the name of the thing. Was it Plodiv? How would you pronounce it? Yeah. And, like, barring, I didn't see it, but getting two red cards, they could have been out the Europa League. So... I, I wonder yeah. if it wouldn't have been a bad thing for mm. them to get out of the Europa League, being honest. But um, they weren't impressive at all, and they were they were very, very disappointing last weekend. Very, very disappointing. Looked a little bit like they had no purpose. They had no plan. There was very little creativity. Um, Jose kind of set his team up, and it looked like it was going to be a bit, a little bit on the adventurous side in, in terms of the four attackers. And then he whips Delhi off at half time to bring on Sissoko for more solidity in what had already been very much a clogged toilet. Mm. Um, Southampton were disappointing as well. Coming off the, the run of form at the end of last season, I did expect a draw against Palace. I thought they'd go into that game in form, uh, but they looked a little bit flat as well. Now they're missing Stuart Armstrong, it's an important player, Mohamed Salisu, the big money centre back they brought in, and Nathan Redmond, who's, who's, Become a very good player for them. Not necessarily someone that should start every game, but he is an important player. Plays multiple positions. Dependable. And, and de- yeah, dependable. Like he's he's very rarely below six out of ten. He might never be above seven out of ten, but he's very rarely below six out of ten. And you do need players like that. Uh, Spurs are miss- missing Aurier and Tanganga. Neither of them likely would have started, though. I I do like Tanganga. I think there's a real player mm-hmm. there. I think this is draw written all over it. Um, I don't know that Spurs will be overly happy dealing with Ralph's intense pressing style. Um, Eric Dyer is someone you can definitely worry when you press him when he's on the ball. And if he's playing centre-back, that creates problems. Ben Davies is the same. Heusberg obviously will know the ins and outs and intricacies of the system. He will be feeding that back to to Jose. So I'd imagine Spurs will ha- will have a plan. I really don't want to see Spurs start that Heusberg Winks midfield again, though, because it's too much redundancy. It's it's just basically duplicates of the same thing. Mm. And the problem with it is that the, the centre-backs will always just give the ball to Winks because that's what they've been trained to do for the last two or three years is when you look up, your short option is Harry Winks. He's the one that's there. And when he's there, they'll just give it to him. Heusberg was bought to play that role. He was bought to be an improvement, and he's getting overlooked. The first half against Everton, literally, he just he was literally standing there screaming at people to give him the ball because they were just overlooking him time and time again. And I like Harry Winks, but he's not as good as Heusberg. They need to be playing through him if they want to build out from the back. I I would love to see Andembele get a, get a start here. I thought he looked really good when he when he came on the other night and or kind of came into the game the other night. Got his goal. Um, I'm going to say draw. I think this one has draw written all over. I'll say 1-0. Okay. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. Um, next game then, Doctor. This one, surprisingly, might be a, quite a fun match, considering the uh, Brighton lost and Newcastle, as you said, not much expectation beforehand. But Newcastle v Brighton, I mean, Newcastle looked almost fun against West Ham and Brighton were very entertaining against Chelsea. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good game, um, to be honest. Now, Newcastle will come in full of confidence, having got the away win at West Ham. They're missing Fabian Schaar, Martin Dubravka. Uh, Alan St. Maximum has a chance, but it's unlikely. Uh, he might make the bench. Paul Dummett is out. Dwight Gale is out. And Matty Longstaff is out. So that's quite a hefty injury list. At least two definite starters there in Dubravka and St. Maximum. Um, on the Brighton side, Lalana is likely to be out. Ben White is questionable. Dale Stevens is out. Isguerde is out. Uh, and Doney is out. And Christian Walton is out. Now, of that that group of six, Ben White is a definite starter and Lalana is mm-hmm. a questionable starter. He's probably a rotation starter. You wouldn't imagine he's going to start every game regardless of being fit because the likes of Alexis McAllister and Davy Proper will come into the team. But I do think Brighton will go into this game with a bit of confidence, given they performed very well against Chelsea. They deserved at least a point from that game. Mm. Um, It's a long, long trip from Brighton to Newcastle. (laughs) That's true. That is a long journey. So that's going to be a little bit taxing on them. Now, with Newcastle, no fans in the stand. That's a little bit of a blow for them because they are, you know, when, when things are good at Newcastle, that is one hell of a fan base, and they really do get behind that team and create an awful racket. So that's a bit of a blow for them. But um, I'm going to say draw on this one again. I, I really like Brighton. I think there's there's quality there. They, they, they still need what they need. Left wing back, striker. Those two things they cannot afford not to do this summer. They have to get them in. For Toon, still think there's a need for more goals. No St. Maximum takes out some of their pace, some of their creativity. Um, I'm going to say draw. I'm going to say one all again. Yeah, I think this is one where you could lit- it could literally be anything. I mean, uh, Brighton won four nil in the League Cup in the middle of the week as well. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. Like this could be anything. This is a mm. game that could go either way because you know Newcastle could win this game two or three nil, or Brighton could go up there and absolutely wallop them. Mm. There's there's a lot of you know there's inconsistency in both teams. Um, I think it's a, a an interesting battle of managers because I think Graham Potter is one of the the best young innovative managers in the league. I think he's nailed on to be the future a future England manager. Um, and Bruce is he's one of those guys that just his players love him. He really does stand for something. Newcastle is his life. It's the club he's always dreamed of managing. He gave up a good job to take this job. Uh, It was a big risk for him, especially replacing Benitez, especially under Ashley and all that kind of nonsense that goes on around Newcastle. Bruce is one who will just drag points out of a season. Like He will grind for safety. He's He's a Hodgson. You know, is now his team play a, a slightly more attractive brand of football than Hodgson, mostly, but he is a Hodgson mentality guy. Um, 
I'm going to say draw. I'm going to say draw. Yeah. Yeah, I can see why. Um, moving on. I mean, probably the biggest game of the weekend, unless I'm missing anything obvious. Nope. Chelsea v Liverpool. New look Chelsea. Bit stale against Brighton. Brighton, but a win's a win. Um, and Liverpool a bit manic against Leeds. This mm. could, again, this could probably be anything. Yeah, this could be anything. Um from a Chelsea point of view, Billy Gilmore is out, Hakim Zayic is out, uh Jorge Luis Filo is out, Timo Werner's fifty fifty, Ben Chilwell's fifty fifty, Kovacic is back, which is big, uh Pulisic is expected to miss out, Thiago Silva is expected to miss out. Probably not the best game for him to make his debut in any way. And Marco Van Ginkel, who I don't know why he still plays Chelsea. He is out as well. Um, Chelsea did not look good in their opening fixture. Underwhelming would be an uh, an overstatement. or uh, Sorry, it would be an understatement of, of what they were. Um, they looked a little bit like they hadn't really trained together a whole bunch in that setup. A lot of the players looked very unsure of what their roles were meant to be, especially... The three behind Werner, Kai Havertz, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Mason Mount. The central midfield pairing I didn't feel worked well. I thought to pretty easily dominate the game for 60 minutes. Not dominate's the wrong word, but to be the more adventurous and, and proactive team for 60 minutes. I thought the defence did pretty well, though. I thought the, the Christensen-Zuma partnership worked quite well. I thought Kepa did okay. He's taken a lot of criticism for the goal, but I'm not sure it's one I'd be massively, um, you know, wringing my hands over. I expect that Chelsea will go 3-4-3 here because that's what Frank does in big games against good teams um, because he hasn't yet figured out how to how to set up his defense. So somebody will come in at the back, I assume Aspi Laqueta. Mm. Um, and then it's, I think, one of Christensen and Zuma misses out here because Rudiger... Uh, will come in on the left of the three, I'd imagine, because that he's you know more comfortable there than the other two. Now, if it was me, I would keep Christensen in. I think, I think Christensen with Aspie and Rudiger is better than Zuma with Aspie and Rudiger. The fullbacks, James and and Mark Salonzo will push on to be wing backs. I think Loftus Cheek will come out to make room for the the centre back who comes in. I, so I expect it to be Havertz, Werner, and Mason Mount as the front three. Now, if it was me, I would play Havertz, Tammy Abraham, and Werner, assuming Werner's fit, because I think, I think just for now, if you want to get the best out of them, play them, play them in positions that they're they're familiar with, play them in roles they're familiar with, and they're familiar with those two roles, Havertz and Werner, right of the front three, left of the front three. You don't really want them learning on the job against Liverpool. Um, I think this is going to be a really a really tough game. Liverpool, uh, Costas Simicus is recovering from coronavirus, so he'll have a fitness test. Jordan Shakiri is back training fully. He's due to have a fitness test. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is ruled out. So Liverpool will be at full strength. They're going to have everybody. Um, and I think they have too much quality for this Chelsea team. It could be it could be a very tight game. It could be a very open game. It could be anything, like you said. Like 
the game at the end of last season was like a basketball match. It was just end to end. Nobody really bothered with defending. I do think Liverpool, though, will come into this game wanting a clean sheet. I think Van Dijk and Alisson will want a clean sheet here. I expect Fabinho to come back into the team. The front three will be the front three. It's a matter of who plays with Fabinho. Um, Jordan Henderson was dreadful in the opening game, and he's not fit. So for me, it will be Ginny Wijnaldum and, and Naby Keita who'd start. And then they'll, they'll have 3v2 three, three in midfield. They should have that advantage. They should be able to overrun Chelsea. They should be able to cope with that attack, especially if Werner doesn't play. Because if it's Havertz, Tammy and Mount, there's not a whole lot that you're really going to be too scared about there other than other than Havertz maybe you know popping up in a position where he can, where he can score. You're not going to get run in behind and things like that. So I'm going to say Liverpool win this game 3-1. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it could be anything, but Chelsea's defence is still bad. (laughs) It is still bad. That's the thing. It is still bad. And and it's like they haven't done anything to make it better either. This is is the thing. They, They haven't done anything to improve it. Thiago Silva does not fix the problems. I don't think at this point in their system, in their setup, that he's an improvement on what they have because he's never played in a high line. He's never been asked to defend big spaces, not in his PSG career, not in his AC Milan career. He's never played in a a league where the tempo is really high. He's never played in a league where you're just going to have that physical nature that the Premier League has. At PSG, they had pacey player to his right, who was purely defensive, really pacey player to his left, and an incredible centre-back playing as a defensive midfielder in front of him, and they protected him, and all he had to do was defend small spaces. Well, at Chelsea, he's going to get Rhys James, who is really a full-back by default. He's more of a midfielder. Like, if you watch him play, he, he's, a, he's a midfielder, and he's just going to put bomb and bomb and bomb. It's likely going to be Kurt Zuma. Now, who's quick and is, you know, aggressive, but doesn't read the game well, doesn't sweep his partner very well, is error-prone himself. And then in front of that, you're going to sit Jorginho, who's not good defensively at all, or Kante or Kovacic. And the last two are good defensively, but not from a positional point of view, and they're not positionally disciplined, and they won't sit in. So he's going to go from PSG, where he rarely had to defend more than 5 to 10 yards of space, to a Chelsea team where, realistically, if you watch that Brighton game, there were times where their centre-backs were defending 30 to 40 yards of space. Everybody else was pushed forward, and they're left 2v2 at the back. And Christensen's got okay pace. Zuma is quick. Thiago Silva is, is actually slow. And I would have major concerns about him. Ben Chilwell is a, a better player than Marcus Alonso, but he's not a very good defender either. He's much more of an attacking fullback than a defensive fullback. So I don't think they've sorted the defense at all. Mendy won't be ready for this game. He's an upgrade, but not a big one at the goalkeeper position. He's going to cause problems with some of the little habits that he has, and especially his lack of ability with his feet and his lack of ability as a sweeper keeper. His his judgment is is really poor when it's when he's asked to come off his line as a sweeper keeper. So I don't think Chelsea have done enough. I obviously they're not going to have all their new in the team either. 
And based on what I saw at Brighton, I don't think Liverpool have a whole lot to fear other than mistakes they might make themselves. Yeah, and that, that seems to be the main worry at the minute. Um, return of the Dice, Leicester v Burnley. I'm so excited. For. Yes. I'm so excited. The big the big man is back. Uh, Mr. Dice against Brendan Rodgers. This will be an interesting tactical battle. So Burnley, James Tarkovsky is is questionable. Uh, Goodmanson, unfortunately, is ruled out. Um, I was really looking forward to seeing Goodmanson this year. I was really hopeful he could stay fit because I liked the idea of him and Dwight McNeil on the wings for Burnley, but he's ruled out. Jack Cork is ruled out. That's a big blow in midfield as well, of course. Um, now, Brownhill was really good in, in the week there against Sheffield United in the Cup, and I assume he'll start. He's a good player. No Ben Mee and no Ashley Barnes. So Burnley are down to you know, the bare bones of what they have because they don't have a big squad. They've only really got two recognisable centre-backs. They're going to be playing a guy with very little experience next to Tarkovsky, assuming he's fit. Um, after Brownhill was there, like, third and backup midfielder, they don't really have anything much after him. And out wide, again, they don't really have a whole lot. Jeff Hendrick played there a lot last year because of the injuries to Goodmanson. Now, he's now Hendrick's gone, Goodmanson's out. It really is the bare bones. Um, Leicester will come into this game confident, having gotten the, the 3-0 win uh, away to West Brom. I didn't think they played brilliantly, but I thought they played smart. Um, Benkovic is ruled out. Wes Morgan's 50-50. Johnny Evans is out. And uh, Ricardo Pereira is out. So you'd imagine Castagne starts at right back again. Ndidi at, at uh, centre-back next to Sionchu. And James Justin plays at a position at left-back. Probably the same midfield and attack. Now, they're on the verge of getting um, Cengiz under in. He's not going to obviously play in this game, but that's a, that's going to be a good addition for them. I do think Leicester should have a little bit too much for Burnley in this one. Burnley looked okay in midweek, but it's the first league game back. They're missing at least three guys that are definite starters for them in Goodmanson, Cork and me. You could argue that Barnes is a starter as well when he's fully fully fed up alongside Chris Wood rather than Jay Rodriguez. So potentially you could say four starters out missing, and that's a lot when you've got such a small squad. They really need to get get active in the transfer market. Like it's 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 time they back Dyche a little bit more. He can only do so much, and when you're working with a small squad and you've got those injuries. That's really tough. And if you get off to a bad start in the Premier League, it can be hard to recover from. They'll have no problem in terms of a relegation battle or anything like that. But having finished 10th, Burnley will want to finish, you know, in that mix again. And if they have a bad start, you know, 15th might be their ceiling for the year. I think Leicester take this game. I'm going to say a 2-0 home win uh, for the Foxes. I think Vardy looked, looked lively um, in the opening game. But I thought Harvey Barnes really stood out with some mm. of his... Some of his dribbling, some of his runs. Really, really purposeful player. Um, and obviously James Madison is back, which is which is big for them. So I'm going to say Leicester to win this game 2-0. Yeah, I agree. Especially with the injuries uh, for Burnley. Um, 
again, a, p- a potentially rusty Aston Villa on Monday night, I should say, against Sheffield United, who maybe not desperate for a win, but did, they went out in the cup, didn't they? Lost to Wolves. Mm. Hmm. Maybe, maybe need a win more than we think. Um. In terms of Villa, rust is definitely going to be an issue. Um, I think if it's if it's a tight game, they might struggle a little bit. Now they will have um, Maddie Cash available. They will have um, Ollie Watkins available, and they'll have Emmy Martinez. So their three big summer signings are all uh, fit and available. Whether it's too early for Martinez or not, I'm not sure. Uh, Tom Heaton is ruled out, and they don't seem to have much of an idea um, on when he's going to be back. The The last update was nearly a month ago and they were saying it's probably like around game week five. So that's still quite a way away. Uh, Bjorn Engels is ruled out and Wesley is ruled out. So I think they might go with Cash, Konza, Mings, and then whoever's the, the preferred left back, uh, be it Taylor or Target. Midfield will be an interesting one to see what they do. It, it'll probably be something like McGinn, Douglas Louise, and, and Nakamba, and then Grealish in the front three until they get their their next couple of signings across the across the door. So Villa Villa will be well balanced. They'll have quality. They'll have a threat now with Ollie Watkins. He will be a, he'll be a real force in the Premier League. I think Sheffield United have had a bad start to the season. The two early goals they conceded to Wolves killed them. They don't have enough quality in the team to get back from a 2-0 defeat or 2-0 deficit. They don't have enough goal threat. Uh, like you say, lo- lost to Burnley in midweek in the Cup on penalties, um, which was a bit of a blow. But they had some promising signs in that game. Um, I thought the two debutants, Jaden Bogle and Max Lowe, both turned in good performances. Ollie Burke looked rusty, but I think showed that he's got a little something different that he can offer that the rest of them at the club maybe don't have. Ethan Ampadu, though, was the kind of the big one for me. I thought he just looked a different class. I think he's one that will break into the team. It was great for Sander Berger to get 90 minutes under his belt as well. This is going to be a tight game. Um, Sheffield United in this game are without least Massette, who's that's a big blow. That's their best striker. And Simon Moore is the backup goalkeeper, so that that is what it is. Um, without Massette, they're going to struggle to score goals. They're rumoured, as we know, to be in for Rian Brewster, but nothing seems to have progressed on that front at this point anyway. Um, this, this this one again, this has draw written all over it, doesn't it? This is, I think this is one all or two all, but I, I think this will be a good game with two good managers and two decent styles of football. But I just don't know that either team has enough to separate themselves from the other. Um, Sheffield United might have a bit of a a bit of a point to prove here, though, because obviously the most controversial result of last season was the nil-nil draw between these teams, where Sheffield United had a goal not yeah, picked up by Hawkeye. So I think I think they might have a little bit of a point to prove. But I'm going to go ahead and say that that this is a draw, one all. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a safe result again. Probably like most games, it could be every anything, but Aston Villa could be very new look and exciting. And as I say, Sheffield, point to prove or continuation of bad results, who knows? Um, 
last game of the weekend, um, Wolves v Man City. Wolves kind of became a bogey team for Man City. Well, in in both the seasons actually, but I think didn't Wolves do the double over them or Drew mm. one? Um, Wolves maybe not the same complete squad they were last season because they've got to replace full uh, wing backs and stuff like that. And there's the hot Jota situation. To put, we don't know what that is exactly yet. But um, are Wolves the, still the same threat to Man City? You think? I think in this game they could be. Um, Riyad Mahrez is likely out with coronavirus. Americ Laporte is likely out with coronavirus. Sergio Aguero is out um, with a knee injury. And Bernardo Silva is likely out with a thigh injury. That's a lot of creativity and their best defender and their best goal scorer missing from this game. Wolves, we know, are missing. You know, Doherty's gone. Adama is having to play as a wingback which isn't ideal. Johnny Otto is out for them, so that's the two first-choice fullbacks or wingbacks from last year, not at their disposal. So that's a, that's a big blow. It changes a little bit how they play, but I thought they've shown, you know, Pedence and, and Neto have shown mm. so far that they're, you know, they're talented. Didn't, didn't impress me in midweek in the Cup, I have to say. I thought they looked a little bit stagnant, a little bit stale. Um, Neves looked a little bit rusty. Jimenez looks lively, and he had a great first 35 minutes against Sheffield United. As good, of, as good a spell as you will see a number nine have this season in terms of all-round number nine play. Go and watch that first 35 minutes mm. of Raul Jimenez against Sheffield United. It was absolutely top drawer. It's a shame he's that old, because I'd love him at Liverpool. <laughs> if, he was, if he was 25, they would have had bids of 60 to 70 million oh, from God, this yeah. summer, without a doubt. Absolutely. He is so good. So well-rounded. Um, you mentioned the Jota thing, and that's that's just something I do want to talk about for a minute. I am really surprised that he seems to be the one on the outs there. Now, it seems to come down to the quota issue, that they just have one too many non-homegrown players mm. for their quota. Which may explain why Ainsley Maitland-Niles was their primary target at right wing back as well. Because it's good, he's a good player, but he would have filled that quota spot that they need as well. So it does look like they've had to make a decision that one of the the non-British lads will have to be, or non non-homegrown lads will have to be jettisoned. But I'm really surprised it's him because I think when you look through their squad, there's an awful lot of others who are not nearly as good as him. He's a player I really like. He is a player I would really like to see at Liverpool. If Liverpool are going to buy a wide forward in this this window, I would much rather have him than Ishmael Assar. I think his movement, his intelligence, his versatility, his link-up play, creative, good finisher with both feet, he's good in the air. I think him and Minamino as your fourth and fifth attackers behind the front three would be a, a really strong position for Liverpool to be in. It's surprising to me that he's he's you know seemingly been pushed out the door and by all accounts he turned up for the the cup match was told you're not in the squad and turned around and left um he wasn't in the team against Sheffield United either so I'm a little bit surprised by by the action that um that Wolves are taking here 
uh, another surprising Wolves thing that was well, maybe not surprising. They announced their third kit today. Did you see it? <laughs> the Portugal kit. It's basically the Portugal <laughs> kit, isn't it? It it's is just point. the Portugal kit. It's on point. Mendes's influence is very strong. It, Mendes course. is basically calling the shots now. <laughs> now, um, the the Mendes thing is interesting because Liverpool, of course, bought Fabinho, who is represented by Jorge Mendes, mm. and maybe have a little bit of a, a relationship with him there. They also came very, very close to buying Ruben Neves in the summer of two thousand and fifteen. I think it was. Uh, it was when it was January when Klopp. It was the, the, the summer, yeah, they, they tried to get him in the summer, came close, yeah. and then it was basically set up for the January. Klopp came in and cancelled it because he, he didn't feel like he was the right player or wasn't ready to really to step up to the level required. Um, in retrospect, you know, you can't really disagree with what Klopp has done. As it's great worked, as out. Never it's worked out, hasn't it? Everything Klopp has done for Liverpool has worked out. But um, anyway, in this game, I think City... There's a possibility of rust. They will have massive points to prove. Um, very disappointing exit in the Champions League, of course, to Leon, who they were expected to beat comfortably. Very, very disappointing domestic campaign last year. Their league form was not anywhere close to what they would want it to be. This is a game... This, this weekend is full of games that are quite hard to pick because it's very, very evenly balanced in most cases. City should win this game. That's just the fact of it. City should win this game because they are better than Wolves. But this game is in Molyneux. City are without three starters and one important creative bench player. You could you could argue that without four starters, because you could argue that Mares, Aguero, and Sterling is their best front three, and that with David Silva gone, Bernardo Silva should be the the replacement for him. So you could argue they're without four starters, um, and that's a lot. That's a lot of quality to try and replace. And we've seen how poor they can be at the back without Americ Laporte. So despite the fact that City should win this game. I'm going to pick Wolves to win this game 2-1. I think the lack of Laporte and the lack of Aguero at either end is going to hurt City. And I think I think Jimenez will cause them major problems. And I don't fancy any of the City left-backs against Adama Traore. I think Adama is going to just take them to the cleaners over and over and over again in this game. So I'm going to pick Wolves to win this game 2-1. If Wolves just had a seven-foot striker, Aki and Fernandinho at the back, that's the thing. I mean, it's Andy like, Carroll fodder at best, though. Oh yeah, and that's but Jimenez is really good in the air, yeah, and Aki true. is terrible in the air. Aki yeah. is the worst centre back in the Premier League last season from an aerial point of view. And as brilliant a player as Fernandinho is, he's a five-foot-nine holding midfielder who's also thirty-five, I think. Not good in the air. Not an explosive jumper. Um, without their best centre-back. They haven't addressed the centre-back issue this summer yet. Uh, by all accounts, the Koulibaly thing has gone cold and they're looking at other targets. Jose Jimenez... Uh, yeah, Jose Jimenez from... Um, Atletico. Atletico Madrid is the, is the latest one linked, but his buyout's very, very high. And as brilliant as he is, he does have a lot of injury injury history there. 
I've said before, I think Ruben Diaz is the one I'd go for. I think he is the perfect fit for Pep next to Laporte. Um, I think this will be this will be a rough a rough start for City, but they have the quality. City are going to be top two this year. It they just are. They're going to be in the top two because they're they're brilliant. They've got world class talent. They could well win this game despite the players they're missing. They still have Kevin De Bruyne. They still have Raheem Sterling. He has flaws, but Gabby Jesus is a very good goal scorer. Um, Foden, and they still managed. Foden could be something. Bill Foden's a very good player. Rodri's a very good player. They're still managed by one of the best managers in the world. So they could well win this game. I, I could be way off on this one. I could be I could be way off on all of them. I didn't <laughs> didn't have a great weekend last week from a <laughs> point of view. Um was doing pretty well on the Saturday. Um but then it it all went uh it all went awry for me over the weekend or over the, the Sunday and Monday fixtures just to to remind you of what I suggested last week. I said Arsenal would beat Fulham, and they did. I said Liverpool would beat Leeds, and they did. I had a draw in the Palace-Southampton game and a draw in the West Ham-Newcastle games. I was wrong on both of them. I thought West Brom would beat Leicester, and they didn't. I thought Spurs would beat Everton, and they didn't. I thought Sheffield United would beat Wolves, and they didn't. And uh, I had Brighton beating um, I had sorry, I had Chelsea beating Brighton, so I got three out of eight correct last weekend. So if I picked against your team this weekend, do rest assured, I'm most likely wrong. Um, but I will own it. I will happily own it every week, and I'm going to own a couple of things quickly right now uh, because I believe in accountability and owning up to your mistakes. Um, the other day, I suggested that. Um, the TV rights, you know, in in Australia, I said that they were, uh, that was Foxtel who had the TV rights. And I have since been corrected on that one. Foxtel did have it when I lived there, but I've been gone quite a while now. And David Townsend, thank you to him, has let me know that Foxtel haven't had the rights for a couple of years now. And it's Optus who have them now. So that's good to know. And also uh, my good man, Keem, Keem has let me know that um, I have been referring to Matthias Glish of the Leeds midfield as Camille Glick, who plays central defence for Monaco. So those are two uh, little errors of my own in the past week. I thought I'd own them because that's what you should do when you, you know, when you cock up and make mistakes, you should own it. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to producer Guy for his, uh, his presence today. Um, coming next week I have new music very excited I've got a band called Fox Haunt have been good enough to let me use their song Open Water as my new intro music um, they're an indie band from Leeds so do check them out if you're into hard rock a little bit of metal they're they're really good this song is is as gentle as they do uh, so it won't blow your ears off too much um, aside from that We'll obviously have Lee Scott back next week. Hoping to have John Wallen in for a little fantasy football update. And we'll have an interview with Stephen Scragg, the author of um, Frozen in Time, the book about the Cup Winners' Cup. He's also got a book coming up about uh, the UEFA Cup. So that should be next Saturday morning that we'll run that one. Uh, to give you something to listen to as you as you get ready for the the weekend's games, this weekend's games promise to be very entertaining. 
Um, it's great that we have them all televised. I think that's a, a massive step. Um, and you know, I know it won't last, but it's it's a shame that it won't last because I think it could be great for the league if if every game was been televised. Um, that's it. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. See you next time. Podcast Network.